It's a good time. Well, guys, again, welcome. We are in week three of this series, I Declare War, hence why, Rondell, I like your, your camo jacket because it was like palm fronds. It was like Jamaican camo. I like it. <laughs> oh, he was trying to speak in his mic. Sorry, man, they're not going to unmute you. <laughs> I know, we didn't plan it. That's how you know we're tuned up in the spirit. And then I actually, um, I, I, I was uh, week one, had a little camo jacket on, and we actually had somebody that served in our armed forces, uh, a military person, um, kind of come to Pastor Craig and I, and he was like, yo, I got a bunch of fatigues from when I served. And uh, his name's Mike. He was actually a scout sniper, served two tours in Afghanistan. And in my office this morning, he left a couple of his old fatigues. And he was like, I would usually never wear a military man's um, fatigues because I, I have not served. I have some family members that serve and stuff. But in honor of him, because he gave me permission, I threw on one of his fatigues he wore over there. And just in light of that, can we just give a hand to our servicemen and women? We are so grateful for you. Whether you're watching online around the world or here with us, seriously. So in honor of you guys, we just say thank you. And it's my honor to even just wear this jacket. And it's a pretty flat jacket, I'm not going to lie. I was like, wow, man, y'all got some nice stuff in the military. But today we're going to jump right in. Uh, if you have a Bible, open it up to 2 Kings chapter 6. 2 Kings chapter 6. 2 Kings chapter what? Nice. Left side, strong. This side. Usually you're the strong side. It's okay. But we're going to jump into that and look at warfare. I mean, we're in a series called I Declare War. If you've missed the first two weeks, the tagline of the series is, and worship is our weapon. Because we talked about, and I'll just give you a quick synopsis of where we've gone so, so far. Like, I'm going to give you my entire sermon from week one in three minutes. Y'all ready? Y'all like, he talks fast. It's going to get real fast. Here we go. We are at war, never against a person. Look at your neighbor and say, you're not my enemy. Some of you married couples needed to just say that today. That's all you needed, right? You're not... My enemy. A person is never your enemy. How do we know that? Because the Apostle Paul teaches us in the New Testament, we do not wage war against flesh and blood, but rather against spiritual things. And when I say spiritual things, that's a really, like, that's a buzzword in today's culture. You ask people, like, you know, are you religious? They were like, no, but I'm spiritual, right? That's, it's just a bunch of, no, I'm spiritual. And, but here's the deal. The Bible says that Jesus came. He died on the cross, he rose from the grave, he li lived sinless, he showed us the way, not so that sick people could become healthy, not so that bad people can become good. But Jesus came, lived, died, conquered sin, death, and hell so that spiritually dead people can come alive. Amen. One for Thank you. All right, no, we'll get there. It's all right. I'm ready for today. I had my coffee and more coffee and more coffee and the Holy Spirit. But spiritually dead people come alive. And when spiritually, so when people are like, I'm spiritual, I want to look back at them and say, not unless you got Jesus. Because if you ain't got Jesus, you're spiritually dead. Doesn't matter how much you meditate, what Buddha you read, what, a, you know, what positions you yoga in, it doesn't matter. You are spiritually dead unless you've said yes to Jesus. Ooh, can I say that? Thank you. He was like, yes, you can. By the way, congratulations on the win yesterday. No, <laughs> I'm an SEC guy. No, I knew it. I knew it. Don't bring it up, Corey. Some of you want to walk out right now. Like, some of you are like, what win is he talking about? That's good that you don't know. Focus on Jesus. But anyways, we come spiritually alive, and, and, and spiritualism is found in Jesus. I don't mean to be offensive. It's just truth that's in the Bible. And so we come alive, but when we come alive, we are then in the kingdom of light. Rondell had a lyric in that song that said, it's not a black and white thing, but a dark and light thing. Woo, that's good. Not about the color of your skin, but the kingdom you belong to. And we come alive when we say yes to Jesus, spiritually alive, in the kingdom of light, facing off against the kingdom of darkness. And here's the good news. We win. 
We, no, okay, it's all right. I'm excited about it. We've already won. Jesus staked the victory flag on the cross and when he rose from the grave, so we fight from a place of victory, but we establish we do have three enemies, three primary enemies. People are never our enemy. Our three primary enemies are the devil and his minions, the patterns of this world, and our flesh. We talked about that in week one. So we wage war against those things, and one of the weapons God gives us is worship. Why do we worship? We said, well, we were all made to worship. We don't have a choice. We're all worshiping something. But we find true fulfillment when we worship the one we were meant to, the only one worthy of our worship, God. So we worship first off because he's worthy. We worship second off because we're commanded to. And we could dig into that more and more. Like, do you all know in a kingdom, again, Jesus' message wasn't say a prayer and get into heaven. Jesus' message was, I came to bring the kingdom of light, an unseen kingdom, a kingdom of the way of life, a kingdom of renewing your mind and working in a heavenly way. And in a kingdom, even to get in the presence of the king, you must worship. You must be praised. Like, we don't understand that in North America, in Western world. Because we have presidents and prime ministers. We don't have kings, right? So if you don't like... Obama, you vote him out. If you don't like Trump, you vote him out. If you don't like Biden, you vote him out. You're like, I like you, I don't like you, I get what I want, right? But in a kingdom, you can't vote out a king. In a kingdom, to get in the king's presence, you must bring praise and worship. And if he lifts his scepter, you may enter. And Jesus said, hey, the way heaven works is way less like a democracy and way more like a kingdom. But here's the good news. We have a good king. We have a king that is our father. So not only do we come, like the Bible says, with thanksgivings and, pra and praise, we enter his courts with thanksgiving and praise and worship, but he's also our dad. And so he doesn't just raise the scepter, he opens his arms and we can run and sit on his lap. Say, dad, I love you. King, I'm all yours. Let's go. And so we worship because he's worthy and worship is a weapon because it penetrates our three enemies, the patterns of this world, the devil and his minions, and our flesh. It works against all three of those. Y'all tracking with me so far? Thank you, one person. All right, Central, here we go. And so in 2 Kings chapter 6, we see this warfare on a physical realm and on a spiritual realm. We see it take place, literally, we see physical warfare between God's people, God's kingdom, and the Syrian kingdom. And then we see spiritual warfare against the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. And at the end of this time, we're going to sing a song that many of us know if you've been around church. The, the song is um, Surrounded. The name, the title of my message today is Surrounded and Secure. Surrounded and Secure. How many of you have ever felt like surrounded, overwhelmed, outnumbered in life? Yeah, right? We, we can all relate to that. And in 2 Kings chapter 6, where this song was inspired from, we see how we should respond when we're surrounded. And maybe even more importantly, we see how we in the kingdom of light actually should fight our battles. Because throughout the series, we were just kind of taking a song that we've been singing and we're going, hey, this is what it means and this is where it comes from. Because we can sing songs in church and sometimes have no idea what we're saying and or maybe not even believe it. Like I, I think I said this two weeks ago, um, I grew up in worship bands, playing in worship bands, and there was this really popular Christian song like 10, 15 years ago called Amazing Love. I don't know if you remember that song. Great song. But the song ended with this line, in all I do, I honor you, and I always thought, that's not true. Because it's 
a lot. Like, I, it affected me so much, I stopped singing that line. I'd sing the whole song, and I'd get to that line at the end, and I'd just shut my mouth. And then one of my worship leader buddies, one of my best friends, looked at me one day, saw I wasn't singing it, and he called me out. He goes, Corey, why weren't you singing that? And I said, because it's a lie. I don't want to lie to God. I don't honor him in everything that I do. Do you know I'm a sinful person? Do you know what I thought last night? Like, Lord, I definitely don't honor him. And he goes, no, it's obviously not true, but you're not singing it because it's true about you. You're singing it in faith because you want it to be. You're calling yourself up to who God calls you to be. So even that reframed my mindset on worship. Worship is when we sing out truths about God and his power and his truth in our life. And it's when we encourage one another, like Paul says, and sing to one another spiritual hymns, calling us up to who God calls us to be. But we, we do this all the time in church. Like how many of y'all, you know that song Oceans? Anybody like that song Oceans? Spirit lead me where my trust is when I boil. This is why I'm not a singer, right? But I'll sing it. But you know what's funny? We all love that song. We're like, where my trust is where our borders. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you would call me. Now, we sing that. And uh, like, do you know what you're asking for? Like we sing that and then we, we go to work on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and we come back to church and you're like, I had the hardest week ever. Why, God, why was my week so hard? And he's like, well, you asked me in song to put you in situations where you cannot survive without me. That's what we're singing. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you would call me. Put me in places where it feels like I'm drowning without you. And we sing these songs and they're so pretty and we cry and then God answers our prayer and we're like, what are you doing? Like, there's another song, same writer, Hillsong, Brooke Leggerhart. She wrote the song, New Wine, we've sang that here. And we're like, God, make new wine out of me. And it's beautiful. That's a great prayer. But you know what we're singing? What we're singing is, God, allow the world to crush me like grapes so that you can bring something new out of me. And we sing these songs and then life gets hard and we come back and complain to God. And sometimes I feel like God's looking at us like, I don't know what you want. <laughs> so it's important that we understand what we're singing. And those are great songs to sing. The meaning is good, but just understand it. And so at the end of our time today, we're going to sing that surrounded. This is how I fight my battles. But let's really dig into what it means to respond to the surroundings in a kingdom way and to fight our battles in a godly way. In 2 Kings chapter 6, we're going to start in verse 14, but you got to get some context to understand what's going on. So there's two kingdoms, kingdom of Syria, kingdom of Israel, and their capital is in Samaria. And the king of Syria wants to conquer Israel. He specifically wants to take out the Israelite king. And so he keeps trying to kill them. He keeps trying to kill them. And what happens is every time he tries to kill them, the king of Israel knows their attack plans and he avoids it. And so the king of Syria looks at his army, looks at his people, his generals, and goes, who's the rat? Who's the mole? Who is tipping off the enemy and telling them our plans? And then the generals get together and his advisors get together and they figure out there isn't a rat. There isn't a mole. And they come to the king of Syria and they say, hey, there's a man of God named Elisha. And God gives him dreams and tells him our plans before we do them. And then he tells them to the king of Israel. Now, I didn't say this in the first service, but let's just pause there. Like, how many of us have Elishas in our life? How many of, let, let me rephrase that. How many of us have people that are praying for us that when God gives them a word, they pick up the phone and call us and we actually listen to them? Y'all know if God did it once, he can do it again. You know, God can still work. Like, there, I, I've had the um, privilege of being the interim lead pastor down at Overflow Church, one of our network churches, one of our family churches about an hour south of here in Benton Harbor. And there's this amazing woman named Candy Gaddy. And Candy, I'll get a call from her every couple months. And she's just like, hey, I was praying and God put something in my spirit for you. Here's a word for you. 
run it by scripture, pray, and may or may not be for you, but I feel like it is. And she'll just pray for me and give me, like, hey, God. And there's times she's told me stuff, and I'm like, man, that is spot on. Thank you. Do we have friends like that? That's why small groups are important, because that's where people pray for. Let me flip it, though. Are we Elisha's for people? When we pray, is it all about us? Are we going to the throne room of the king on behalf of people? That's why I love Vipka today. She said, let's intercede in prayer for those that are hurting today. Let's pray for our brothers and sisters. Let's pray for our friends and family. And if God gives us a word, do we have the courage to call him and go, hey, yeah, that guy you really like, I know you're getting in that new relationship. God just told me, maybe watch out. That was a word for somebody. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I saw a mom like, look at a dude. <laughs> No, but yeah, you know what I'm talking about, right? Like, so are we that? So Elijah was tipping off the king of Israel, and then the king of Syria comes up with a plan. Brilliant plan. Actually, it's a, like, duh. He was like, I have an idea. Let's kill the prophet. And so that's where we pick up. He's like, if we can kill Elisha, they won't get tipped off of our plans. Then we can take out the kingdom of Israel. And so in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 14, we come right up to this point in the narrative. It reads, so he, the king of Syria, sent their horses and chariots and a great army, and they came by night and surrounded the city. Pause. Did y'all catch what that just said? It said the king of Syria sent a, sent a ninja Syrian assassin to take out Elisha. No, that's not what it said. It said the king of Syria sent SEAL Team Syria 6 to take out Elisha. No, that's not what it said. It sent a battalion. No, he sent the king's army for one man this is thousands of soldiers girded to the tilt and then it says horses and chariots that's very specific chariots were the most sophisticated military technology they had at that time chariots were very expensive very hard to build and any army with chariots usually would roll right over their opponent it would be the equivalent of the United States today saying we want to take out one man in another country. And so we aim all of our nukes, we deploy every drone, every aircraft carrier, every battleship, every single soldier in the Marines, Navy, Air Force, Coast Guard. And we surround that country and we surround that city all for one man. That's what's happening here. It raises the question, like, when it comes to this kingdom of light and kingdom of darkness, like, we can see Elisha was a threat to the kingdom of darkness, right? I mean, this guy was a threat. But then it, it makes me think, am I a threat? Am I even on the enemy's radar? Again, we have an enemy, the devil and his minions, the patterns of the world, and our flesh. Here would be the question. Do you feel under attack? Do I feel, do we ever feel under attack? And if you don't, it may be because you're not a threat to the enemy. And if you do, my first point here would be attacks are affirmations. When you feel attacked in life, let that be an affirmation that you're actually making headway against the kingdom of darkness. But what's the problem? In the U.S., especially in Western culture, we run from attack. We run from persecution. We run from oppression. Spiritually, we think when we're getting attacked, when things are going wrong, something must be wrong. You all know what I'm talking about. Relationship gets hard. Finances get hard. And what do we do? God, what am I doing wrong? No. This shouldn't be happening. You know when you're like, this shouldn't be happening to me? Like, we all have that feeling. Why is this happening to me? This shouldn't be happening. It's such a Western mindset that everything's supposed to go well all the time. 
Because if you actually go to the men and women of our faith, the Jewish culture, and you read the Bible, you see that they thought oppression, persecution, even trials were just a part of life. That's just how life is. That's actually one of the main things God uses to grow us. Romans chapter 5, trials produce perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And this hope does not disappoint because it is the spirit of God within you. So when we run from trials, we're actually running from character and hope. Right? Sorry, I love this stuff. It's real tense in here. I can tell you are loving this topic, right? Look at your neighbor and say, I love this. Somebody, tell them. Even if you don't, only half of you participated. That's okay. But, but like, this is how God used it. I mean, you look at the Jewish people. If there were like a slavery Olympics, they won the gold medal. The, the Jewish people were enslaved by the Syrians, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Egyptians. Just time, I mean, the, the Nazis. Like time after time after time after time again, the the ancestors of our faith faced oppression, grew through it, and bounced back. But we in Christian America think when there's trials or persecution, something's not right. Can I just come up against that today and say attacks can be affirmations? But then it raises the question, like, are we even on the enemy's radar? Are we getting attacked? It reminds me in the New Testament, there's this, it's really funny to me in Acts chapter 19, some of the disciples of Jesus are like, we're going to do what Jay did. We're going to do what Jesus does. We're going to take out the demons. We're going to exercise demons. And they find this demon-possessed guy. And they go, hey, in the name of Jesus and in the name of Paul, we command you to leave that man. And check out the demon, the kingdom of darkness's response. Acts chapter 19, verse 15. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus, I know. And Paul, I recognize, but who are you? That's terrifying. First off, I like that they like approach spiritual warfare like with name dropping. They're like, Jesus, right? Now here's the, the good news, guys. If you've said yes to Jesus, we now have the Holy Spirit within us. We have the power of God within us. And we can invoke the name and power and authority of Jesus in spiritual warfare. But in this instance, they were just throwing it around as if it was an incantation. In the name of Jesus and Paul. And uh, the demon's response is, again, it's just like shuddering. Because he says, oh, we know Jesus. I mean, you know when the demons in the New Testament, when, G when they encountered Jesus, you know what their prayer was? Please don't torment us. They know the real Jesus. They know the warrior king sitting on his throne. They know the all power. They don't, they're not like this little baby Jesus stuff. They know the real Jesus. And so when demons encounter, they're like, oh, we know Jesus. We probably know him better than you. And then they said, and we heard of Paul, that rocks my world. You've heard of Paul, the greatest church planner of all time? You've just heard of him? It begs the question, like, again, am I even on the enemy's radar? Are we? It would be like today if we encountered the kingdom of darkness and we said, in the name of Jesus and in the name of Central and Water's Edge, we command you to come out. And the demon replies, yeah, we know Jesus. Who's Central? Are we making an impact? Now, let me encourage us, we are. People are getting saved. God is moving through us. But man, I'm not saying I want to be attacked by demons left, right, and center. But I pray and hope that what we are doing here at Central, at our church here in Holland, what we're doing in our churches around the world is making such a dent in the enemy's camp. It is making such a dent on the enemy's radar that the enemy doesn't just know our name, but he's deploying his best at us. And here's the good news. We come from a place of victory on the cross. So we do not have to be afraid. I would almost, to quote that famous, cheerleader movie say bring it on amen and again just in this first sentence we see that attacks can be affirmations and then so it raises the question what do we do when we feel attacked I um I had the 
honor and privilege of pastoring. One of my first pastorates was down in Lima, Peru in South America. And while I was down there, I got to know a few of the pastors in the area. And there's this one legendary pastor. His name's Robert Berenger. You're like, that doesn't sound like a Peruvian name. It's not. He's an American. And in the early 80s, God called him to plant a church in Peru. And so he just packed up him and his kids and went. You know you can do that, right? What's best for you is not security. What's best for you is following the Savior. And so Robert Berenger packed up him and his kids. They moved to Lima, Peru, and he spoke no Spanish. And there's witnesses. Within six weeks, he was preaching full sermons in Spanish. That's called the gift of tongues. When you follow God's anointing and he equips you with what you need. It was amazing. And he's still there today. Their church is thousands. They're like the Hillsong of Peru. They're called Camino de Vida. And his son, Taylor Berenger, is my age. He's like their creative pastor. And Taylor and I used to surf together and get coffee together. And one time when we were getting coffee, we were talking about spiritual warfare. And I said, Taylor, man, what's one thing you learned from your dad? Your dad's like the spiritual giant. He's a legend here. What's one thing you learned from him when it comes to warfare and dealing with hard people and enemies? And he said, that's easy. Like without hesitation, he said, my dad always says, never attack, don't defend. And I said, what? <laughs> he said, never attack, don't defend. I was like, explain that, expound, right? And he said, well, when we attack people, it shows pride. And when we defend, it shows weakness. And he goes, as Christ followers, we are not prideful and we are not weak. So we don't have to attack and we never have to defend ourselves. And that one conversation, that was probably 12 years ago for me, just I mean, it changed my, imagine like when your spouse and you are starting to argue or your brother and sister or that coworker and you're like, whoa, whoa, wait, I don't have to attack. And if I'm acting with integrity, I have nothing to defend. Proceed. Like imagine how diffusing that is for people when they put that comment on your social media and you want to go, no, that's not true. Da, 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 da. If you're right, you don't have to defend. Isn't that nice? We don't hear that much. Never attack, don't defend. Never attack, don't defend. But, but here's how amazing this gets. I'm going to take it a step further. Are you all okay with that? Okay. All right. Thank you. Romans chapter 12, verse 19, God teaches us this. He says, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Uh, did you catch what that said? In other words, when we defend ourselves, now here, let me be clear, we are called to defend the defenseless. We look after and we take care of kids. We take care of people hurting, look after the orphan and windows. We defend the defenseless, but we don't have to defend ourselves. And when somebody hurts us, God says here, beloved, vengeance is mine. Now, I'll just get real with you there. What that is saying is, when you defend yourself, when you avenge yourself, when you go, no, 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 but da, 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 da. You're actually stealing from God. Because he says, vengeance is mine, not yours. And I don't know about you, but that actually makes me happy. Because <laughs> his vengeance is way worse than mine. But it also swells up a heart of compassion in me for the person that hurt me. To quote C.S. Lewis, the worst possible place to be in the universe is on the opposing end of an all-powerful being's wrath. If you believe God is all-powerful, then to be up against an all-powerful being's wrath, there is no worse place in the universe. We, see, we think the penalty of sin is hell and death. That's only two parts of it. The Bible says that God's cup of wrath is held back 
until the day of judgment, and then it's poured out on those that do not accept his son. That's the penalty of sin. And he says, if people hurt you, vengeance is mine. And I'm, it's like having a big brother at school. You're like, don't mess with me, right? He got you, right? He's got my back. I'm rolling with it. It's like when you're a freshman on varsity, you're just like, ha, 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 can't mess with me because the whole team coming at you, right? Vengeance is his, but it actually swells up a heart of compassion because I don't know about you, I don't want anybody to have to suffer through that. Not even my worst enemy, not even the person that's hurt me the most. And so then we see where Jesus says, pray for your enemies. I pray that they would come to know Jesus and his forgiveness and his love and his peace. So A, that they wouldn't have to experience the wrath of God, but B, because I was an enemy of God and he saved me. And I want him to do that for you. You are not my enemy. The sin within you is, and I know you've hurt me, but I am now praying for you. You see how Jesus' message was revolutionary. It changes the way we live. I heard somebody the other day, this person raised their voice in an argument and then the other person started to raise their voice and they were like, why are you yelling? And then the other person goes, I'm just matching your energy. Duh, right? <laughs> just matching your energy. In other words, it's like what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5. The ways of the world, the law of the land, the code of the jungle is an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. You raise your voice, I raise mine. You accuse me, I accuse you. You fight with me, I fight with you. But God says, pray for your enemy. The principle, never attack, don't defend. I don't have to defend myself. Vengeance is the Lord's. I'm just praying for you, bro. And we'll dig into that. It, 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 this gets even more intense. Are y'all ready? Y'all like, no, that's enough. That's all I needed for today, right? But the narrative continues. Oh, Lord, that was only the first verse. Okay, here we go. Verse 15, it says, and when the servants, so the chariots and horses are surrounding the city, they're besieging the city, and when the servant of Elijah rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, alas, my master, what shall we do? See the punctuation? Exclamation mark. So let's get practical. Uh, he, his boss is Elijah. He's serving Elijah. They wake up in the morning. He's like, time for coffee and breakfast. He walks outside thinking it's just a normal Tuesday, and he looks up and he sees the entire Syrian army has been sent to kill his boss, which also means probably him. And this guy goes, ah! <laughs> and he runs in and he goes, Elijah, they're going to kill us. What do we do? Now, let's be honest. How many of us have ever felt overwhelmed or outnumbered in life, right? Maybe not even physically with people. Some of us like feel overwhelmed financially, right? We're like, man, I got this bill, I got this bill. I'm not even opening that envelope. And I definitely aren't answering that phone call. Dumb student loans. Like, and we're just surrounded, right? And it can be overwhelming at times. And we act like the servant. Like, ah, we freak out. Or like emotionally, some of us, we put on a good face here at church, but we get home and at night when we're all alone, we're feeling attacked by anxiety or depression or stress. And it's just, ah, and we just want to scream. Or maybe relationally in the marriage, it feels like they're always running or they're always attacking. And then the kids are going crazy. And this friend's always calling for money. And it's just, ah, right? It's so easy to feel overwhelmed and outnumbered and surrounded. And most of us respond the way the servant does. Hashtag freak out moment, right? We're just like, ah. But check out Elisha's response. He runs into Elijah and he goes, what should we do? And I love Elijah's response because he doesn't answer his question at all. He says, what do we do? And Elijah says, 
do not. No, 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 Elijah, EJ. You know, like I asked what we should do, not what we should not do. Let me repeat, what do we do? And Elijah says, do not. You know that's a remarkable principle you can apply to your life today. If you ever are wondering, what do I do today? What, how do I respond to this? God, what do you want me to do? If you don't know, start with what you know not to do. Like Elijah says here, do not be afraid. We know the Bible says God has not given us a spirit of fear. Do not be afraid. The Bible says do not be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer and supplication, let your requests be known to God. I feel anxiety, but I'm not going to be anxious. I'm not going to let that define me. I feel afraid, but the Bible reminds me I do not have a spirit of fear. I'm not going to be afraid. They're pressuring me to have sex with them outside of the context of marriage. Hmm. I know that I'm not supposed to do X, Y. Okay, so I know, right? Like, it gets so practical. If you don't know what to do, start with what not to do. And I love Elijah. What do we do? Elijah says, do not be afraid. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now, again, church, we spiritualize the mess out of this. Because we know the story, right? Chris Tomlin, angel armies. We're like, yeah, it's all going to work out. He didn't know that. The servant, imagine if it's you or I. Ah! What do we do? Don't be afraid. Why? And then your boss says, because there's more of us than there are of them. Now, if you're the servant, I'm taking another look. I'm looking at Elijah. I'm going to walk out to that window. And look, I'm like, one, two, let's just stop at three. Elisha, one, two. I know you're a man of God, but you're awful at math, right? Like, this is like, because in the servant's eyes, they were greater than us, right? Like, so he's looking at Elijah like, you've lost your mind. I chose the wrong team. And then I love what Elisha prays. He says, do not be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And again, them is thousands, us is two. Verse 17, then Elijah prayed and said, oh, Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. Somebody say, open my eyes. Now say it like you mean it. Say, God, open my eyes. That is one of the most powerful prayers you can pray. We said earlier, we do not wage war against flesh and blood, against spiritual things. Do you know for the king we serve, for the God we serve, the spiritual realm is more real than the physical realm? What we get so caught up in, money, food, where am I living, my car, what am I wearing, how do I feel? This is all physical. This is secondary to the spiritual realm. And what Elisha was saying was, God, open his eyes to what's more real than the physical, the spiritual. Again, oh my gosh, this is amazing. So he says, open his eyes, a prayer we should be praying so the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Of fire. That's fire. Like that's one of the dopest things I've ever read in scripture. Could you imagine? When it says horses and chariots of fire, what that means is warrior angels. Warrior angels were surrounding Elisha and surrounding the Syrians. And I just imagine them angels just like, oh, it's been so long since we had a good fight. Like, let us go, right? Like, come on. And it's funny, like, we pray all the time. I've said this before. We'll be like, God, I want to see angels. No, you don't. No, you don't. God, just show me your angels. Why? They are terrifying. They look nothing like what we paint. You know, like people with a halo and little white wings. That is not, how do, they don't look like that. 
How do we know that? Because almost every time an angel shows up in scripture and talks to somebody, the first thing they say is, don't be afraid. Even Gabriel to Mary, this beautiful messenger shows up and the first thing he says is, don't freak out, Mary. Because apparently when you see an angel, they are intimidating and terrifying creatures. I think they look a lot less like the Renaissance paintings and a lot more like Dragon Ball Z characters. They're just like, ah, right? Three of you, thank you, anime fans. All right, went right over some of your heads. But, right? but yeah, they're just terrifying creatures. And, and, and these creatures are surrounding Elijah and the Syrian army. Just like God, give us the word, give us the word. When God wanted to kill thousands of Egyptians in one night, he sent one angel called the angel of death. <laughs> He's a good guy on our side. The angel, that's a nickname. Who wants that on their sleeve? Angel of death, what's up? Roll with me, right? So these guys are there. And now the, I imagine the servant has a whole different swagger now. He looked out at the Syrian army. He's like, ah! Elijah's like, God opened his eyes. And I bet he sees the horses and chariots of fire. I, if I'm that servant, I'm talking trash now. I'm like, yo, you want some of this, Syrians? Like, let's go. Right? I, sorry, that's why I'm not in the Bible. They're way holier than me. And when the Syrians came down against him, so they start their attack. These thousands of horses and chariots and soldiers start running after to come in and kill Elisha. And when the Syrians came down against Elisha, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, please strike the people with blindness. You see the dichotomy? God opened the servant's eyes, but closed my enemy's eyes. How powerful is your spiritual sight? Some of us have never thought, God, open my eyes to what you're doing beyond the physical. Open my eyes to to what I need to hear and say and listen to just in the day-to-day and mundane. And so he says, God, please strike them with blindness. So he struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. And Elisha said to them, this is not the way and this is not the city. Follow me and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. And he led them to Samaria. That's also insane. Because Samaria is where they were trying to conquer in the first place. So Elisha says, yo, I'm not the one you're trying to kill, really. So let me take you to the heart of the place that you've been trying to take out the whole time. You talk about military strategy gone wrong, you don't bring the entire enemy army into your camp. But he does. He leads them right to the king of Israel. And check out how this plays out. Verse 20. And as soon as they entered Samaria, Elisha said, O Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. So the Lord opened their eyes and they saw, and behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. And as soon as the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elijah, my father, which is a a name for a prophet, he's like, man of God, shall I strike them down? Shall I strike them down? So he said it twice. In other words, the king of Israel was like, ha ha, thank you. Let's kill them all. Right? This is how I fight my battles. I slaughter my enemy. Right? And we laugh at that. But we're all like the king of Israel. How do I know that? Because when you are in an argument with somebody and all of a sudden you find that you have the upper hand, maybe they got one of their facts wrong, maybe you've outlogicked them, what do we do? We crush them with logic. We crush them with what we think is truth. We raise our voice and win the argument and destroy the person. That's, we all fight our battles naturally the way the king of Israel wanted to fight his battle. Can I kill him? Can I kill him? Can I take him out? I hate those Democrats. I hate those Republicans. I wish they would all just vote the way we vote. Ah, right? 
can't believe this denomination does this. Ah, we just try and prove them wrong. Annihilate the enemy. But when we sing this song, we sing it as if we're saying this. This is how I fight my battles. Like we fight our battles with prayer. And we do. Prayer is one of the most significant spiritual weapons we have in this war. Should be praying people. Should pray for our enemies. We do fight our battles on our knees. And when it looks and feels like we're surrounded, yes, we are surrounded by the angel armies, the very presence of God himself. So we fight our battles not against flesh and blood in the spiritual realm. But the nuance here is Elisha wasn't just fighting the battle. So the king of Israel says, can I kill him? Can I kill him? Shall I strike them down? Verse 22. And Elisha answered, don't kill him. You shall not strike them down. Would you strike down those whom you have taken captive with your sword and with your bow? Would you, would you kill a wounded enemy? If you actually understand that you have the high ground morally, you have the high ground physically, you are superior, they are inferior. Are we that evil that we would, that we would kill them? When you actually understand that you've been saved by the grace and mercy and forgiveness of Jesus, and spiritually you are alive and enlightened, you have the armor of God, the sword of his word, the weapon of worship, and somebody that doesn't know Jesus is attacking you, would you kill them? Would you annihilate them with logic and, and, and your perspective, knowing that they don't have what you have? And he says, why would you treat them like that? Check how Elisha says to fight the battle. He answered, you shall not strike them down. Set bread and water before them that they may eat and drink and go to their master. So the king of Israel prepared a great feast. And when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away and they went to their master. And the Syrians did not come again on raids into the land. What do you call an enemy that doesn't attack you? And war, that's an ally. What do you call an ally relationally? A friend. You see what Elisha did? He didn't win the battle. He won over the enemy. He didn't win the battle. He gained an ally. Genius. And this is the way of Jesus. God says he sets a table before us in the presence of our enemies. Let's get real practical with this, Central. You got that coworker that's bad-mouthing you behind your back and you know it. This is how I fight my battles. I gossip back at them till they quit. No, no. This is how I fight my battles. I'm going to do some research on social media and find their favorite food. I'm going to invite them over to my table, to my house Thursday. We're going to prepare a feast for them. We're going to love on them, not for the sake of proving them wrong or getting into it, just to show them ridiculous grace, kindness, love, and generosity. This is how we fight our battles. See, when I say that, I can see it. Some of us immediately, we cross our arms. We're like, ugh. I don't want to do that. I'd rather win the battle. 
But what did God do for us? When we were yet enemies of God, in due of his wrath because of our sinful nature, instead of winning the cosmic war and just destroying us, what did he do? He laid down his life for us. Then he provided his spirit. He lavished grace and mercy and generosity and kindness on us. Now, let me be clear. I'm not, if some of you are in, like, I just got to be, if you're in an abusive, I'm not saying put yourself in a place to get physically abused or emotional. I'm not saying that. But you all understand what I'm saying, right? When we have enemies in people, we fight this way. Generosity unmerited favor and kindness and you talk about grow a church like well, I'm all about an invite culture like hey come to church Jesus saved my life hey come to church hey waitress at, at the brewery hey come to church hey hey come to church hey come to church like, like let's invite if you talk about really grow a church what's amazing is when the seat next to you on the pew is with that person that hated you a year ago but you showed them so much of Jesus' love, kindness, grace, and mercy that they couldn't help but come and check out the church that you call home. This is how we fight our battles. That's why Jesus' whole message, Jesus' whole MO, he never said, prayer, prayer, get out of hell free card. He never said that. That wasn't the gospel. Jesus' gospel was, the kingdom of God is here. See, we treat church like it's a luxury cruise liner. We church shop until we find the one that feels the way we like, that smells the way we like, that has the food and the conversation and the tea. We, we treat church so consumeristically. And the kingdom of God is not a consumeristic kingdom. It is a kingdom where when we come spiritually alive, instead of getting on the cruise liner of Central and sailing to the shores of heaven, and maybe we can throw some life rafts out along the way, again, to quote C.S. Lewis, the church, the kingdom of God, is more like a battleship than it is a cruise ship. So when we say yes to Jesus, we become spiritually alive, and we enlist in the army of God, and we show up at the battleship that is the SS Central, and we say, I'm here to serve. What do you need? Do I need to clean the latrine? Do do you need me to scrub the toilets? Can I serve in kids' ministry? Can I help park the cars? Whatever it takes to reach one more soul and pull them out of the kingdom of darkness and show them the love, grace, and mercy, and life, and peace we have in Jesus, just like someone did for me. And we do that by not doing what's easy. The way of the world, an eye for an eye or tooth for a tooth. I'm just going to match your energy. If you come at me, I'm going to come at you. If you post about me, I'm going to post about you. If you badmouth me at work, I... no, we do the harder thing. You hate me, I love you. You badmouth me, I bless you. You take from me, let's have dinner on me. And you cannot do that naturally. That's why it's called supernatural. That's why God gave us the Holy Spirit. So right now, we're going to worship. I mean, we're going to, Central, we're going to worship. Y'all ready to worship? No, yeah, some of you are like, I don't know. This has been a tough one, right? But when we sing this song, we're going to sing those two lines. This is how I fight my battles. And when we sing that, I pray that you would sing it as a proclamation over your situation, over your life. Guys, I have situations in my life right now where I just want to, you know what I mean? I just want to tell them off. I want to tell everybody on it. But God is working in my heart with this. Kindness, grace, love, 
mercy, show them Jesus. So when we sing this is how I fight my battles, just maybe even pray a small prayer with that. God, help me fight my battles your way. And then we'll sing that other line, it may look like I'm surrounded. Some of us walked in here today and you feel attacked. You feel surrounded. And proclaim that truth over yourself today. It may look like I'm surrounded, but God, thank you that I am surrounded by you. I don't have to be afraid. I don't have to be anxious. I win because I'm on your side. Will you stand with me? Father, right now we just pray that we would be this type of people. A people that follows the way of Jesus, a people that apprentices under you, Jesus. And God, we defend the defenseless. We will stand up for those that can't stand for themselves. God, yes, we will stand for truth. But when it comes to people attacking us personally, I just pray it over everyone under the sound of my voice. We don't have to defend ourselves because vengeance is yours. Thank you for that, God. We don't have to attack them because we have a much greater enemy, the kingdom of darkness, to sin within them. So God, I pray that as we sing this out, you would remind us, that you would show us, that you would open our eyes to how you individually and strategically want each one of us to fight those battles. That God, we would not just win arguments. That God, we would not just win disputes. But God, we would win souls for the kingdom of heaven. And God, as we sing this out, I pray that anybody that's feeling overwhelmed, outnumbered, or surrounded today, that they would be encouraged with the reality that who is with us is greater than who is against us. Even though it looks like we're surrounded, we are surrounded by you. In Jesus' name, we worship. Amen.
midst of your week, remember that your battles are not yours. Not by might, not by power, says God. It's by my spirit. Here we go. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you, you, you. It may look like I'm surrounded, I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like. 